Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. We are going to continue our series that Daniel started last week on faith and growing in faith from Hebrews 11, which I think is very timely and we feel it's very timely for us as a church in terms of the mission that we feel God's calling us to fulfill in London and the way we want to reach out and love London and the people of London. I think it's pretty timely for all of us as well, isn't it? These are not easy days. And the Bible says we live by faith, not by sight. So this feels as though we're getting grounded into something that is really relevant for now and is going to be really helpful uh, for us now. So Daniel placed uh, the passage in its bigger context last week. He, he referred to two things, primarily. He referred to going back to chapter 10, verse 32, where it, it talks about embracing suffering and loss by faith because we have a greater reward. And this is all about freeing us from probably the greatest idol that you and I struggle with, which is materialism. We all possess a lot of stuff. We need to look after our stuff. We look for new stuff. It's a big part of our lives. If you've ever been to somewhere like Africa or parts of India where, where this doesn't exist, of course, poverty is terribly hard, but it's also much simpler. And materialism is one of our biggest challenges. So by faith is how we deal with materialism, as Daniel said. And also faith is about perseverance. It's looking to the future. He said, it's being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. Our life is shaped by what we live for. What you and I are looking forward to, whether it's just what we're looking forward to this week or next weekend or next year or in our careers, shapes us, shapes our choices, shapes our praying. So faith is really critical to how we're looking to the future. And the substance of that faith of course, is Jesus. That's the centre of our worship this morning, wasn't he? He is here. The substance of faith is Jesus. One of my favourite verses is 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. And it was preached at our wedding a few years ago now. For all the promises of God in Jesus are yes. For all the promises of God in Jesus are yes. Are you struggling with getting hold of a promise from God? Well, Go to Jesus, because in him, all God's promises are yes. The passage also talks about running the race laid before us. And Daniel said, we all have a different race. That's what it says. You run the race marked out before you. So don't judge someone else's race of faith. Don't look at it and think, oh, aren't they amazing? Aren't I inadequate? Or don't look at it and think, well, if I was in that situation, I don't think I'd find it that hard. Both of those two are completely unhelpful and unreal. No, you, we each have our own race. That's what it says in Hebrews 12, of faith to run. So in these verses, and um, you will notice that Daniel took the good first three verses as given me the difficult next four verses. In these verses, the writer starts to unfold the biblical story. He introduces us to the family of faith, our family. 
We're all part of that family that runs through Hebrews 11. And we bear the family likeness. It's natural for us to start to live by faith. And he focuses first on a number of individuals, then some groups, and shows how faith plays out. And we're going to go, in these next few weeks, on an adventure through these stories. Looking at these people, getting under the skin of them, what was going on there? How did they step out in faith? Because we'll find ourselves in these stories. One of my favourite quotes is, we do not read the Bible, the Bible reads us. We do not read the Bible, the Bible reads us. In other words, we find ourselves in the stories and think, how would we respond? James talks about it brilliantly, doesn't he, when he talks about the mirror. When you're coming to the Word of God, it's like looking in a mirror. And you see two things, I think. We see a reflection of ourselves that's far more beautiful and attractive and even glorious than we imagine. Because we see us, ourselves as God sees us. And we also see the challenges of where he wants us to grow, to develop, to become more like Jesus. So we're going to look in a mirror this morning through these three stories. And I believe God's going to do those two things. So let's just pray. Let's just invite the Holy Spirit to help us. Jesus, we thank you for your word, which is the most amazing thing in the universe. It's full of power, full of truth. And we pray today, would it be a clear mirror for us? May we find ourselves in it. May it read our lives. May we come away encouraged and challenged and stirred. Three stories. The first murder, the man who never died, and the greatest disaster the world's ever seen. Okay? Great start for the morning. First murder, the man who never died, greatest disaster the world has ever seen. That's what the stories are. We have the chapters Genesis uh, 5, 4 through to 6. There is no way we can reckon these stories in history because, of course, there's no written history of that period because of the flood. But we're sure that these three stories are true because Jesus referred to each of these characters himself. They form a group and the key to understanding their story and you'll remember this from my preach before, if you are reading Hebrew, what is the most important verse in the passage? Anyone remember? The middle. The style of Hebrew writing is to put the truth in the middle, to lead up to it, to state it, and to lead down from it. So, the middle verse here, of these three stories, stuck in the middle, is this. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's a striking verse, isn't it? I thought God was pleased with all of us. Didn't you? Whether we had faith or not. Well, he is. <laughs> Zephaniah tells us he delights in us. He rejoices over us with singing. He loves us with a, a limitless love. He, his joy is to spend time in our company. He is always affirming and encouraging us. 
But just as a parent can love their child utterly and completely, that child can still give a special pleasure, can't they, by the way they respond, by something they do. We see that with our grandchildren. They'll do something. And it's not as though you weren't delighting in them, but it's like an extra special delight. And that's what God does with us. Our Father in heaven who loves us completely, sacrificially, accepts you and I, sees us as beautiful in Christ. Still, he's pleased when we act and live by faith in him. And that's the core of this passage. One of my favourite verses is Ephesians 5 verse 10. It's an enigmatic little verse. I often think about it. It says, find out what pleases God. Amazing little verse stuck in there. Find out what pleases God. Because if we think about it for a minute, we, we'd love to please God. He's done so much for us. But there's, there's an exploring to find out what pleases God. And this passage, I think, unpacks that really well. So, so let's talk about the faith that pleases God. I think it, to me, I can think of, um, the passage comes out with, with two dimensions. It says, firstly, to believe that God simply exists. That sounds pretty simple and straightforward, really, doesn't it? Believing he exists. But actually, you need to think about it for a minute. That means God is real. Every day. Every moment. Everywhere. All-knowing. All-powerful. He exists. He is. And it's not just our little image. It's God, the one who created the universe, who threw the stars into space, he exists. Being aware of that, living by faith of that, in every moment, trusting him pleases him. Secondly, I know it's a bit strange this one, faith, the faith that pleases God is the faith that wants things from him. It feels a bit backwards, doesn't it? It's the faith that earnestly seeks him and believes he will reward is the faith that pleases God. But then again, I suppose if you think of a parent, one thing that really pleases you as a parent is, is when a child comes and asks for something and seeks something and comes and wants your company and wants something from you. It gives pleasure. In the same way, as we develop a life of dependence on God, coming to him and seeking him, he's pleased. He's specially pleased with you and me. Faith believes he exists and believes he rewards those who seek him. In fact, the Bible is full of rewards. I haven't got time to go into it. Jesus talks a lot about rewards in heaven. So do all the epistles. There is a difference. What we do in this world makes a difference in heaven. It takes a bit of time to get your head around that, but the Bible is very clear that is true. We're all equally loved, we will all enjoy heaven equally, we will rejoice in whatever anybody else has completely clearly without any problems, but it will be different because there are rewards in heaven. So let's now look at these three intriguing characters, Abel, Enoch, 
and Noah and see what the writer is wanting us to learn from them. So first of all, we have Abel and his brother Cain. These were the first two sons of Adam and Eve. We're right back at the beginning of history. Brothers, possibly even twins, according to one of the verses. And they bring, they both bring a sacrifice. And it says, Abel brought the fat portions from some of the firstborn and Cain bought some of the fruits of the field. And the Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. Why? Why didn't he? The Bible doesn't clearly tell us. It gives us hints. It must be something to do with the nature of the offering. Abel's offering was the first fruits. It was a sacrifice. He had to kill something. Cain's offering was some of the grain that he'd harvested. But underneath all that must have been a heart attitude about worship. That must have been really what, what God was doing. And Cain's response of anger when he's not accepted tells us his heart wasn't right. He was trying to buy God off. He was this wasn't a, a, a worshipful offering to God. This was something he felt he ought to do, so he got really angry when it wasn't accepted. So we see this is about heart attitude, about worship. I think one of the things that is really striking, though, is read on the chapter, Abel's died. There's a whole chapter about Cain. God's merciful. There's justice, but, you know, why on earth? I mean, Cain's blown it. Write him out of the story. He gets another whole chapter of interaction with God. Even there, there is amazing grace and amazing mercy. So I think this story is about worship. We worship by faith. That's what Abel is, is teaching us. There is a need and a place for faith in worship. I think we've seen that this morning and we'll, we'll come back to it. I can think of three ways in which that's been true in our lives. So, first of all, faith, we worship by faith when everything goes disastrously wrong and we're still here on Sunday and we're still worshipping God. We worship by faith when our job is taken away, we're fired on Friday and we're here on Sunday. We worship by faith when that relationship which is so important to us breaks down on Saturday evening and we're here on Sunday. We worship by faith when we hear that there's just been a miscarriage and we're here on Sunday. And I know that's been true of people here. That's how we worship by faith. We come at the tough times to worship. That's where we go when it hurts. That's what Abel was doing. He was worshipping by faith. Secondly, I think worshipping by faith takes us out of our comfort zone. There's an extravagance about worshipping by faith. We touched a little bit of that this morning. If, if we're worshipping the God who exists, we're going to get a lot more lively than this. <laughs> he, that is his due, isn't it? We may be, well, no, we're certainly not all English, but we seem to have adopted some of the Englishness as we sit around here. Where's the extravagance? in our worship. I remember um, a fairly embarrassing story for me really when I was uh, 
helping run a camp for teenagers. I was what's called the Adji, which is the person who does all the notices and all the organising. And uh, we were in a worship service, and I felt God touch me one of the first times by the Holy Spirit. And we were all nice, neat rows, you know, as we all are now. And uh, I felt I had to get up and dance. Now, if any of you have seen my dancing, you will know that that was not something that I thought would actually, you know, build worship for anybody else. <laughs> but I knew it was God was telling me to do. So I, I did, sort of, with my eyes closed, <laughs> got up and danced around a bit and sat down very quickly. But it did something for me and in me. It was an extravagance of worship, a stepping into can I ask us this morning, have you ever raised your hand in worship? If not, that would be your extravagant next step. What about dancing in worship? What about, we had speaking out in tongues. All these things take a bit of courage, but we do them by faith. We do them by faith. And thirdly, in worship, by faith, worship is more than songs and words, isn't it? We know that. It's the way we live, and it's actually probably most significantly in how we give, how we look after our money, because our giving to God is probably the most practical and real form of our worship. It's not too hard, really, if we're honest, to sing great words on Sundays, and we have a nice feeling. It's a lot harder to give, especially to give sacrificially, especially if God's speaking to us to say, by faith, give. I think that's a challenge that we're facing to step into more, to become more generous, more sacrificial in our giving, because that is worshipping by faith. That is what Abel did by taking the first fruits, by taking one of his lambs and killing them. He worshipped sacrificially. So that's Abel. What about Enoch, the man who never died? It says, Enoch walked with God, then he was no more, because God took him away. <laughs> He's only one of two people who talks about in this story about walking with God, which we'll come back to in a minute. But there is one other person who never died. Anyone know? Can remember? Elijah. Now, if I was writing Hebrews 11, and I'm sure you're very glad I'm not, I'd have chosen Elijah. Wouldn't I? I mean, if I wanted to choose someone who'd walked with God and never died and wanted to talk about faith, I'd choose the guy who went up the mountain, fought the priests of Baal, actually got, got the whole sacrifice to be soaked in water, called down fire from heaven. I mean, amazing man of faith. I mean, he goes on, he, he runs, he, he, he causes rain to come. No. Chose Enoch. Not Elijah. I wonder why. Well, maybe because he wants to teach us about everyday faith. He wants to teach us that walking with God by faith is just as miraculous and just as pleasing to God as standing on the top of mountains and calling down fire. Enoch simply walked with God. I think, I think the, the picture I sort of have is two people walking with their arms around each other's shoulders, just walking day by day, chatting, sharing what's going on, commenting on what they're seeing. That's how Enoch walked with God, I think. And 
I think he had a life marked by the pleasure of God's company. By faith, we can do the same thing. And by faith, we're called to do the same thing. Enoch was commended as one who pleased God. He believed that God existed, not just on Sundays, but in the middle of that difficult issue at work. That's when it's hard to remember that God exists, isn't it? It's hard to remember that God exists when we haven't got money for what we need. It's hard to remember what God exists, that God exists when some health issue comes to us. He knew that God existed. He walked with God and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So that's the second one. And now we come to Noah, who was Enoch's great-grandson. So it follows down the line. By now, things have got even worse. The, the biblical description sounds horrendous. It sounds like a world full of violence, even more unimaginable than the world we currently live in, where nothing right was being done, and it was a disaster. And God is coming to judge. <laughs> it always amazes me that children have this little ark of wooden ark of animals celebrating the greatest act of judgment and disaster that's ever happened on this world but it's this nice little ark full of animals without realizing the sense of this story this is an awesome story and it's a dramatic illustration of robust persistent faith based on a promise of God so this is the Abel was about worship Enoch was about living life every day Noah is about standing on a promise. And sometimes God gives us a promise to stand on, just like he had. Noah's ark was huge. We were talking about beacons last week, and we calculated how many double-decker buses, you know, the big red things, how many we could fit into Noah's ark. So anyone give me any guess? How many big red double-decker buses would fit into Noah's ark? Sorry? 50. 50, thank you. That was a good start, but I need some more. No, no, I need much bigger than... We're getting close now. I reckon it's about 260. Just imagine 260 double-decker buses. That is the size of this thing. It is utterly enormous. I think we forget that. We think about now, you know, knocking together a boat, really. And the size of the children's arcs are quite small. This thing was huge probably 60 years to build we don't know something like that so I imagine initially his friends thought it was a, a bit of a joke <laughs> you're building a boat okay <laughs> you know we're nowhere near the sea and it doesn't rain here very often but you're building a boat but then as the um, as he patiently builded and got on with it, and the days turned into weeks, and the weeks turned into months, they would have started thinking, he's lost it. And it would have turned to ridicule. You're still building that boat, Noah. It's still not rained. <laughs> and then something interesting happened. As it turned into years, and they listened to Noah talking about, I'm doing this because God is judging the earth. They started to get upset, I think. They started to think, well, maybe there is something in this. Maybe what we're doing is wrong. 
in the passage in Hebrews, it goes on to say that Noah condemned the world by his actions, by his faithfulness. Others started to feel condemned, wondering, what if this happened? But they still rejected the call to repent and respond to God's love. Sometimes when we step out in faith, we get opposition. And in fact, if we step out in faith, to some extent, we always condemn those that don't believe. It's the natural outcome. That's why stepping out in faith is challenging. But it brings God pleasure because we're trusting in him and what he has said. In a sense, the ark is a picture of salvation, isn't it? It was a promise that God gave. People could respond to that promise to be saved from destruction and judgment. In the end, only Noah and his family did. Augustine wrote a lot about the ark actually becoming the church. And you can then start to try and explain its size and all sorts of things. It was the thing that brought salvation to the world. So this is still a very topical story. So three stories. Three people who lived. Each teaching us something different. Abel teaches us how to worship by faith. And in a minute we're going to come back. To, <laughs> well, there's an encouragement. <laughs> in a minute we're going to come back to worship. And I want to encourage us to worship by faith. Push out. Do something you've not done before in worship. Be, be more extravagant. Because God exists. And he takes pleasure in those who seek him. Enoch, he walked by faith. I remember thinking over the years, I think I've gradually learned to remember God more often each day. Is that your story? Because I don't think it's easy. <laughs> but I would suggest it's a good story to be thinking this year, in the midst of all my life and all its pressures and all its busyness, am I more aware of God than I was last year? Because he is real. He exists. It brings him pleasure. And we can ask him for things. So walking by faith. And then, have God asked you to step out in faith? Have you got something he's said to you to do that you've parked? Is it today that he's bringing it back for you to think, that's a promise of God I can step out in. Even if it has a reaction, even if other people don't understand, even if it makes other people question their lives, uh, is God speaking to you today to step out in faith? Can the Each of these, coming from a desire to believe God, believed he is real and active, and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. What has the mirror done for you today? Who or what have you seen in the mirror of God's word about your life?